now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now preparing embalmed hand for party use. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, in this week's episode, we've got a review for Season 3, Part 2 of The Witcher and Disney's Haunted Mansion. Plus, we're reacting to the new trailer for Loki Season 2 and Saw X, along with talking this week in AEW. Also, if that's not enough show for you, make sure to stop by our Patreon, where you can not only help support our show, but also get bonus content like our Best and Worst of the Week show, which we now have over 30 episodes up on our Patreon. Plus, our top-tier patrons also get bonus episodes and countdowns like our Best Better late than never review of Black Mirror Season 6 and worst Star Wars moments of the Disney Plus era. So after the show, make sure to head on down to our show notes and find the link to our Patreon or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show. Oh, and one more thing. You can find The Amazing Nerd Show now on Threads. If you use the social media site, make sure to give us a follow to stay up to date with all things A&S. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on Threads. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first, we've got an update about the future of Wonder Woman in the DCU. So Wonder Woman's future in the new regime had been undetermined since all gun released about the Amazonians was that there was going to be a prequel series based on Themyscira. Well, recently in an interview with comicbook.com, actress Gal Gadot claimed to her understanding she will be developing Wonder Woman 3 with Gunn and Saffron. Now, this hasn't been confirmed by either Warner or Gunn and Saffron at this time, but it's a good indication that at least Gal Gadot will remain remain in the role. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this because it, it felt like when Gunn and Saffron were being asked about this, what, you know, when the news came out about the new direction for the DCU, they were keeping it pretty open whether or not, you know, Gil Gadot was going to be back as the character. And I think it makes sense. I mean, she's really popular. Um, everyone loved the first Wonder Woman film. It's not an age situation, you know, where like, you know, Cavill, for the story that they're trying to tell, he's a little too old um you know where Godot is still like she still looks young enough where she could play a younger version of the character if need be i think part of the reason why everyone was kind of questioning whether or not she'd be back was you know you know the studio parting ways with patty jenkins uh but i feel like that was just due to you know gun's new direction and probably the fact that they want they didn't want to continue the storyline that she started in you know wonder woman 84 which i mean rightfully so um it definitely wasn't a great movie so no. um you know if they want to just you know kind of reboot you know the character maybe keep some stuff like you you could pretend honestly that wonder woman the first wonder woman film happened um that doesn't that won't get in the way of any continuity um but I, I'm all for pretending that Wonder Woman 84 didn't happen. <laughs> well, they don't have to address anything that happened in that film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not attached enough to really make an impact. Right. Or I'm fine with them saying it didn't happen whatsoever. Like it was uh -huh. a fever dream. That's cool, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I feel like this makes sense. I mean, she's great as the character. So why not continue on with her? 
All right, moving on to the MCU. It looks like we have a casting update for the upcoming Fantastic Four. There's rumors coming in from industry insider Jeff Snyder that Vanessa Kirby of Mission Impossible fame is, as they said, 95% in for the role of Sue Storm, while her brother, the Human Torch, Johnny Storm, may be played by Stranger Things breakout star Joseph Quinn, with the rumor claiming he's about 80% in for the role, whatever that means. Um, there were also reports that Disney may have actually courted Matt Smith for the role of Reed Richards, according to industry insider Daniel Richmond. But there's no word on if he actually signed before the strikes or not. So does this guy have like some kind of like rumor gauge like that we don't know about that <laughs> measures like the, the truth of these rumors? Like 95%? Like who's doing the math on this shit? Like what? I'm guessing like pen's been put to paper, but they haven't made an actual announcement. But it just seems so specific. Like this rumor is ninety-five percent true, and then this other rumor is eighty percent true. Like what? What does that mean? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I mean, we heard Vanessa Kirby's name, you know, rumored a couple weeks ago. So I mean, I, like I said before, I mean, I don't really know her as an actress, um, but I mean, a lot of people seem to be excited about you know the prospects of her doing the role. Oh, uh, when it comes to Joseph Quinn, I could totally see him as Johnny Storm. I mean, he was fantastic in Stranger Things and he's kind of like the It Hollywood guy right now. So I, I could see why the MCU would want to cast him. Um, Matt Smith looks like Reed Richards to me. <laughs> I don't know how he is, you know, when it comes to as like a fit for the role, but um, I could see it physically at least. I don't know if it's, you know, I've been scorned by Morbius and, you know, I saw him as Doctor Who, so I just can't picture him in the role. But he does. He totally does fit the picture of Reed Richards. Yeah, physically. And I definitely think he can do the performance. You know, he, he is a good actor. He was in Morbius? Yeah, he played the villain. Uh, he was he was Morbius's, uh, you know, morphin buddy. Okay, sure. <laughs> there was also a story out there that was getting headlines that, uh, I guess... Sue Storm is going to be like the main character of the film. Um, I don't know why that was news or is news because I feel like she, her and Reed are always the main characters of the Fantastic Four stories. So <laughs> it was kind of strange. I don't know if it's just going to be like told through her perspective more, but I don't know. I just felt like it was like, no shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. No news well, on uh, the casting of the thing, right? No, nothing there. Okay, just a bunch of rumors. You know, I guess they mm -hmm. they must not have like scaled high on whatever gauge this guy's using, um, so he didn't report on them. <laughs> ten percent. Yeah, it's only ten percent, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up next, it looks like the release window is narrowing for season two of What If. Scooper Can We Get Some Toast took to social media this week with a rumor that What If Season 2 will be coming to Disney Plus in either December or January. They also stated that the rumored cut episode from Season 1, What If Tony Landed in Sakaar, will not be the premiere episode for this season. Uh, yeah, this was originally supposed to premiere early 2023, uh, so I'm not quite sure why it ended up getting pushed back. Um, and we did hear, right, like the season two is supposed to be quite a bit shorter than season one. I believe it's only supposed to be like three episodes or something crazy like that. I could be wrong, but I think it's like only like a, a total of like two or three hours long. So you feel like it's going more like Black Mirror style then going forward, like just three episodes for. I have no idea. And honestly, like 
if that's the episode, you know, count that they need to tell the story that they want to tell, I'm fine with it. Like, I don't feel like we need to have a fixed episode count anymore um, for mm-hmm. for these seasons, um, as long as they don't feel rushed story-wise. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, like, as long as we're not getting, like, a bunch of filler episodes, I'm good with it. Like, use the amount of time you need to tell your story. Well, actually, speaking of which, it looks like we've got some news on the Mandalorian front. The folks at Making Star Wars allege that season four of The Mandalorian could be turning into a feature-length film instead. It's rumored that Disney is afraid Filoni and Favreau may not have enough time to complete two more seasons of the show to set up the announced film that Filoni will be directing, all because of the current strikes. Favreau claims the season has already been written, but who knows what may happen if they decide to go through with making a film instead. I mean, hey, if they just pay the actors and writers, this wouldn't be a fucking issue. So, um, I mean, it sucks because, <laughs> uh, I mean, especially if Favreau already has like season four written and, you know, he has a story completely like flushed out and he's not going to be able to tell that story. Um, yeah, I mean, that really does suck. Um, but I mean, when I first heard the story, I thought it was more of a financial decision until reading the full article, um, because, I mean, it it sounds like, you know, uh, season three didn't do that well ratings wise for Disney Plus. So I was like, oh, well, they're probably, you know, wanting to see a bigger return, you know, on the show. um, So why not do a film? Because I feel like a a film, you know, will do gangbusters, you know, for for Disney. So um, but if it means that they're going to end up having to really make sacrifices story-wise, then that's definitely a downer. Now, with that being said, if season four is going to be anything like season three, where there are definitely some episodes there where it just felt, I don't know, a a little directionalist. And, you know, once again, kind of like what I was talking about with What If, where, you know, it just feels like almost like filler episodes, um, then I'm totally... I'm fine with them doing a film. If it means Favreau has to like kind of cut the fad and streamline the story. Because, you know, while I enjoyed season three of Mandalorian, it it definitely felt like it lost its way for a couple episodes here and there. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could have been simplified that last season. But at the same time, I just, you know, I worry about how much that they would have to cut out for a film. Because, I mean, a film's, well, I mean, nowadays films can be up to three hours. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just can't imagine them putting out a Star Wars flick that's, you know, a three hour Mandalorian, you know, film that 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 feels, you know, good from start to finish. Yeah, satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if he already has season four, like written, like done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm sure as an artist, that's going to be hard for him to kind of figure out what storylines he needs to edit out to make sense as a film. Exactly. And just like, but. But to be on the other side again, though, it's like he says that he was writing it while they were, you know, pretty much doing season three. So it's like, uh, is there is there things that we could cut? Yes. Here? <laughs> like, do we have a storyline like the dark saber that ends up going uh-huh. nowhere? Right. And maybe we get rid of the Jack Black Lizzo episode. Right. Um, if they have any more cameos planned for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's kind of what I was saying. Like, maybe it'll end up being a good thing, a blessing in disguise, if it means Favreau has to kind of streamline the story and just, 
you know, focus solely on, you know, Mando. But anyway, moving on, uh, it looks like we might be getting a remake of Bride of Frankenstein on Netflix. A report coming from World of Reels claims that Maggie Gyllenhaal is directing a remake of 1935's Bride of Frankenstein for Netflix. They also stated that Christian Bale may be headlining the film, though it's unclear if, if he will be playing either the monster or Frankenstein. The film will apparently start production next year. I could totally see Christian Bale wanting to play the monster, right? Uh -huh. And like go through the process of like the makeup and everything like that. Uh, that just feels like something that guy would totally like throw himself into. Um, now, I'm wondering, like Del Toro is supposed to be doing a Frankenstein film and they're for Netflix. And there was a rumor that he was going to be doing his own like Universal Monster Universe for, you know, the streaming service. So. Like, is this connected to that film? I, I mean, there's no word on that, but it would be kind of weird to have like two of them in production and them not be working together at all. Yeah, it's interesting because I just kind of assumed that if he was doing his own like Universal Monster Universe that he would want to tackle Bride of Frankenstein himself. Uh, but, you know, maybe he's a producer on the film. But I guess that was just a rumor too. So who knows how much validity there is to that story. Now, while I'm not really like familiar with Hall as a director. Um, I'm definitely excited for Del Toro's version of Frankenstein. I mean, it feels like he already kind of tackled the creature from the Black Lagoon in the shape of water. So, you know, I'd be interested to see what he does with Frankenstein. I mean, you put Del Toro with any monster, it's going to be a good film. So, no, I agree. I I'm just also curious, like, you know, is this going to be a period piece or, you know, is this going to be modern day? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and find out. But anyway, last but not least, it looks like the upcoming Scream sequel has a brand new director. Well, it looks like Radio Silence is out on directing duties for the Scream franchise as THR reports Christopher Landon of Happy Death Day and Freaky has officially been hired on to direct Scream 7. Open and Gillette, the former directors, will remain as executive producers for the film. Yeah, and I guess this is due to scheduling issues. Um, which is disappointing because I really enjoyed the direction that the duo was taking the franchise. Mm. Uh, but with that being said, I feel like Christopher Landon's a good fit tone-wise. Uh, you know, with uh, Happy Death Day and Freaky, he really did a good job of balancing the horror and comedy. Um, I mean, both those films are probably at the, at the end of the day more of... Both those films at the end of the day are probably more comedies than anything. But you could tell that he's a big-time horror fan. So I'm sure he can figure out a tone that works for Scream. I mean, that second film was really good, so I am disappointed that Open and Gillette are out. But I mean, I, I've just never given Christopher Landon much of a chance. Those trailers and everything never brought me in to see either of his films, uh, horror-wise. So it's just like... The first Happy Death Day was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Um, and I liked Freaky a lot. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the sequel for Happy Death Day, though. So I just felt like they went too far. And I believe he did the sequel also. Um, but he's talented. And you can tell, like I said, he's a, a huge horror fan. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that they're giving someone who loves the genre um, the reins for the franchise. But I, I mean, I get it. You're not a huge comedy guy. So <laughs> uh -huh. and honestly, like, I'm not a big fan of my comedy mixing with my horror. Uh, but I mean those films were pretty well done i will say that. but all right we got a couple trailers this week starting up let's talk some saw x hello everyone it's time to play a game you all pretended to cure me but what i have planned for each of you is very 
real. All right, Christian, so you're kind of the Saw aficionado. Um, what did you think of the trailer? Because I'll be honest, like, I watched it when it first came out late last week, and I don't want to watch it again because it's, like, the worst <laughs> kind of trailer in the world where it just shows you literally everything. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. They showed, like, pretty much every single trap. It really felt like they're all going to do their traps in one room. Like, I don't know if they're trying to capture that vibe of the first film where they're all kind of, like, trapped in the same room for the entire time. But... Yeah, everyone seemed to be just like locked in their own yes. traps already, and we we kind of know what's gonna probably happen to yes, them. Yes, it really gives you like the beginning, middle, and end of the movie because uh-huh. like, it shows you like every character in the very beginning, and then they show you what traps they're in, and like basically like what the results gonna be, um, and they even give you the big like Amanda surprise, you know, <laughs> at the end of the trailer. Um, I man, like I like the aspect of you know, the story that this seems to be a revenge flick, like a straight revenge story for John Mm. Kramer. Um, You know, I mean, that aspect is always in all of the saws, I guess. I mean, I like the idea that this is kind of a straight revenge film. And I mean, don't get me wrong, like that theme is always part of kind of all of the saw, you know, films. But this is this feels like they watch Don't Breathe and they're like, let's do something like that with, you know, John Kramer. Which is cool, and I'm glad that we're getting Jigsaw proper again. Um, but man, this trailer sucked. Like, don't give me the entire fucking film. Like, <laughs> just show me him with the pig mask on, and you know, show me maybe a trap, and that's it. Like, that's all I need. I think that's like all any Saw fans need, right, to get them in the theater. So, I don't know. Exactly. I feel like they already had him kill medical staff that worked with him before, but I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just I thinking don't know. too much. I did kind of want to go back and rewatch <laughs> at least uh-huh. the films where, you know, he's alive to kind of see like where the story goes and like where they kind of jump the shark with everything. Um, Cause there's a point where it definitely gets a little convoluted. Uh, you know, they're, they're popping those things out like every year for a while, like every October, you know, it was like, you knew you were going to get a Saw film. So it felt like it led to a lot of like rush scripts. Um, Mm. there was like a weird thing about like some necklace that his wife was right. There was all these weird, like Easter egg things that they were trying to do. Like, you remember that bracelet she had on and, uh, you know, the third film and like, it's just like, okay, wait a second. That's a stretch at best. Like, there was always a connection there. Okay. Right. For everybody and everything. <laughs> we eventually got a film that focused on his wife, right? Yes. She turns out to be the killer at some point like, or the mastermind behind the cops that she's sending out to kill. It's everything after three becomes about like the police that were there and helping like some of the detectives that started to that first was on the case and now become his loyal subjects it's just it yeah gets he had all these like wilder. acolytes and everything because like uh, wesley from fucking princess bride shows up again yes. right <laughs> well, that was the last film not the chris rock film the film before that yes the last one before they uh, whoever else started making it <laughs> i mean not to beat a dead horse but just fucking reboot this franchise. It's fine. Jesus Christ. By the way, I mean, I'm going to see the movie, so I don't know what oh, I'm yeah, complaining it's tradition. about. <laughs> it's tradition. <laughs> this is an October release? Yeah, it's coming out September 29th. Yeah, so it is tradition. All right, so this past week, we also got a trailer for season two of Loki. Loki. 
I've been pulled through time between the past and the present. Hello? If what I saw is true, there's nothing to stand between this world and utter destruction. Only one way to find out. All right, so the trailer starts with Morbius and Loki visiting Ki-Hu Kwan, uh, who's playing a character named O.B. and seems to be an IT guy for the TVA. Uh, but they're visiting him because uh, apparently Loki is time slipping, uh, which O.B. is kind of surprised by since you're not supposed to be able to do that in the TVA since it exists outside of the timeline. Uh, so he's got no answers for them. I totally forgot that uh, Ki-Hu Kwan is supposed to be part of the series, so I was really excited when you oh, know, yeah, the trailer opened with him. <laughs> Hopefully uh, he's, you know, in the season a lot. Uh, he's a fantastic actor, and I, I don't know, I feel like he'll, he'd bring a lot, you know, to this series. But after this, we're kind of all over the place, right? Uh, we see Sylvie. I don't know what, sh you know, she's doing exactly, and maybe she's hunting down other variants of Kang, because we also do see Victor Timely, um, at one point, who is a variant of Kang, and, you know, they showed him at the end of Quantumania, uh, with Loki and Morbius looking on at one of his, like, demonstrations. And the character of Victor Timely does exist in the comic books. I believe he, like, turns some, you know, U.S., like, town into uh, a version of Chronopolis and introduces a bunch of technology in a way to kind of, like, shape the timeline, I guess, um, Unless I'm misremembering it. There's so many different versions of Kang. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of the ball, but I believe that was the storyline with Victor Timely. Uh, but at one point in the trailer, we do see Sylvie in a room with him, with him laying on the ground and her pulling out a dagger. So I'm wondering if her mission is to like hunt down all these Kang variants. So, I mean, it was kind of left up to them at the end of the season, you know, to choose, you know, are you going to free the timeline and because they were pretty much given the choice to be, you know, either gods and, you know, enslave all of time or let it run free. And they chose to let it run free. So I don't know if her well, plan Sylvie is to chose to let it run well, yes, free. <laughs> Sylvie yeah. chose to let it run free. So I don't know if her plan is to just try and kill every, you know, Kang out there to hopefully stop another time yeah, war. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not going to help. Maybe this is her trying to clean up her, you know, mistake because things uh -huh. did get screwy at the end because Loki shows up at the TVA and they don't remember him at all. Uh, and now we see that he's like time slipping. So, and it, he says in the trailer that he's like jumping forward and backwards throughout time and it looks like you know part of the story is the mystery of why he's doing this there's also a scene at like a movie premiere with an actor character who seems to be playing this marvel comics character named zaniac uh i really know little to nothing about this character i, I know he's like possessed by demons um he's had run-ins with the tva in the past so i don't know exactly how that whole storyline is going to tie into what they're doing here in you know season two but it is a nice little portion of the trailer so it, it looks like it's going to be significant now i believe that those demons have some kind of link to dormammu in the comics uh they're possessing zaniac whatever uh so i don't know if they're gonna go that far with this story 
Um, but it is interesting that he's included. I mean, having a Doctor Strange connection would be smart knowing that he's out there probably fighting incursions right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, and Strange had the Time Stone. So, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense, right? Also in the trailer, we do see Ravana again. Um, I don't know if she's working against Sylvie, like trying to protect Kang. Uh, but she definitely seems to be on her own mission, whatever it is. Uh, and then we also see um, the other TVA agent, uh, B-15, is it, Christian? Yes. At one point, we see her in, like, a gown of some sort. So I don't know if she's now, you know, helping out Morbius and Loki on whatever mission they're on. Um, Perhaps. I mean, later on, we do see her in a hospital gown as well. Huh. Or a uh, doctor's outfit. So it, it looks like she's going to have a lot more to do this season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the scope in general, I mean, this season looks a lot bigger than what we got it, compared to the first season. And we know the first season was kind of a victim of the pandemic at the time. Because even though it was like this big, like, multiverse tale, like, we didn't travel outside of the TVA very often, <laughs> it felt like. So, and when we did, like, it, it definitely felt like, you know, these different worlds weren't populated by many people. So I'm glad that, you know, it feels like they're going to be able to stretch their wings here. And we're going to see, you know, these characters in a bunch of different settings. Uh, there is one point where it looks like Loki and Morbius are battling against other TVA agents um, with a bunch of devices in some kind of, like, warehouse um, I don't know if you caught this, Christian. I'm sure it's going to be a situation where there's, you know, probably people working for B-15 that don't believe whatever Loki has said, you know, because, I mean, he's coming from a, a timeline that doesn't exist and he has to try and explain all this. You know, Mobius is definitely more So you of think a, B-15's uh, working against them? I Probably. That's my guess. Maybe. I could see that, especially if she doesn't remember, you know, everything that mm. went down in season one. You know, I, ass- no one should, I really. assumed that, you know, she was working with them um, just because it mm. looked like at one point she was in disguise. But I could see that, too, that, you know, she's working against them and she's the lead on, you know, the mission to bring Loki Morbius in because it really does look like, you know, they're battling against the TVA here. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what are all the devices that they have in the room. Um, if these are other portals of some sort, because throughout the trailer too, they've made it a point to show the timeline and how all the branches are like running amok now. Also, and I totally forgot about this. There's a scene where Miss Minutes is like pulling a Godzilla in some kind of town. Uh-huh. It looks like it's taking place when they uh, visit Victor Timely. So I don't know if it's his doing or maybe it's the TVA trying to bring back Loki and Morbius. Who knows? Uh, I mean... I, what I'm interested in, and basically what they showed off from the uh, poster itself, was there's moments where you see, you know, Loki's time slipping, and he actually does run into other versions of himself. You know, there's one point where he time slips and he sees himself. Now, I do know he has the ability to, of course, make copies of himself, but I do feel like he will be working in, I, I feel like it's going to be one of those um, time traveling stories where you're going to see them working from the past, present, and future all across, you know, different versions of himself. Yeah, because I was wondering whether or not those were projections of himself or, like you said, variants from, you know, other points in time. So, th- yeah, I did catch that. Speaking of which, I hope that we do get like different versions of Loki like we did in The Void in season one. Uh, where, you know, the characters played by different actors, because I thought that was, you know, a really fun premise. Um, just seeing all these different variants. Yeah, you know, give me more animal Lokis. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, there was a, right, the Loki alligator, what the hell do they call him? Yeah. 
Yeah, but like, give me more variants, like you know, classic Loki and Kid Loki. Um, there's just so much you can really explore in the series. I mean, overall, the, I mean, this was this was a good trailer. Um, I felt a little burned out after Secret Invasion, and you know, not being a huge fan of the overall season of Miss Marvel. But I really did enjoy um, Loki season one, so I am hopeful for this uh, second season. I mean, they've got a lot riding with this. I mean, this is really setting mm -hmm. up the multiverse of it all when it comes to Marvel. Um, you know, and I mean, I brought up Quantumania before, but that kind of went over like a fart in church. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially when you think about like the fact that that film was really introducing King the Conqueror, you know, the main villain, supposedly, you know, of this you know, new saga for the MCU. So I really feel like they need to hit a home run here. No, I agree. I thought this looked great. Um, this was definitely not a season I was necessarily clamoring for. But I mean, this 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 got me pretty excited. Hopefully they're able to write the ship. And at least it's not too far away coming out on October 6th. And now for the nerds review of the Haunted Mansion, warning mild spoilers ahead. And now, our feature presentation. It's time to assemble the dream team. We find someone who can communicate with these ghosts. People used to eat here. I told you she's good. Oh, it's a dining room. I found a professor who else wanted mansions. I've been dying to go to this place for years. Mystery lurks around every corner. I can show you what happened, but it will cost you. Single mom named Gabby hires a tour guide, a psychic, a priest, and a historian to help exercise her newly bought mansion after discovering it is inhabited by ghosts. This was directed by Justin Simeon and stars Lakeith Stanfield, Rosario Dawson, and Owen Wilson. So this past weekend, I went to see Disney's Haunted Mansion with my family. And while I went to the theater with little to no expectations whatsoever, I will say that I left pleasantly surprised. Uh, the film's about a single mom who's desperate to solve the mystery behind the haunted mansion that she just purchased. So much so that she recruits a ragtag group of strangers consisting of a priest, a psychic, a history professor, and a scientist who just suffered a tragic loss. So right off the bat, I will say that the film is very akin to the popular Disney theme park ride. It's a child-friendly, ghoulish good time. Uh, it has some decent jump scares sprinkled with some well-structured, suspenseful moments here and there. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're definitely not reinventing the wheel here, but there was enough thrills to keep my daughter clinging to my arm throughout the entire two-hour runtime. Uh, part of this achievement was due to the visual effects and the design of the ghosts. They did a wonderful job of paying homage to the theme park spirits and how they walk this fine line between being just spooky enough without being too traumatizing. Um, the humor was definitely a mixed bag. Some things worked and other moments didn't quite land. But listen, I don't think I was the audience that they had in mind when they wrote the script. But with that being said, they definitely had children's attention spans in mind when it came to the pacing of the action, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, 
but there's never really much time to register what the hell's going on throughout those scenes. So it does end up feeling a little overstuffed because you're never allowed to breathe. I feel like the film would have been better served streamlining some of, you know, these scenes and balancing it out with a little more suspense, which they do do well here and there, uh, and some more character moments because the cast does make the most of what is given them. Um, and I think the biggest strength of the film was Ben, the scientist's arc, who, you know, is played by late Keith Stanfield. Um, you know, he has this huge struggle with grief that he's dealing with. It's really kind of the emotional core of the entire film. And I was really impressed with how well they explored that theme, especially in a children's film. Now, tone-wise, it does make the film feel a bit disjointed, especially with the manic speed in which everything's happening, but it never feels forced like it doesn't belong. Um, and it really does end up giving the movie this satisfying resolution at the end. So with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give Haunted Mansion a B-. Um, for the life of me, I, I don't understand why Disney would release this film in July because it's just the perfect Halloween kids movie. And I know a lot of critics have been hard on the movie and, you know, maybe my expectations were a bit too low, but overall, I will say I enjoyed it. Um, it had a lot of heart and some fun scares and some badass ghost designs. I mean, I didn't even talk about the awesomeness of the main villain, uh, the Hatbox Ghost, um, which I feel like it's going to end up being a favorite amongst a lot of kids. Um, but anyway, I, I feel regardless of how the movie does in the box office, this is eventually going to gain a following, especially during October on Disney+. Plus. It, it really has like cult classic written all over it. Because, you know, it, it feels like it will serve as a gateway into horror for a lot of kids when all is said and done. But anyway, go ahead and catch Disney's Haunted Mansion is currently playing at a theater near you. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1. The daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter 
or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now for the nerds review of season three of The Witcher. Warning spoilers ahead. I've searched so long. Witcher season three was heavily shadowed by, you know, the news of Henry Cavill leaving the role of Geralt. And with the showrunners promising a big send off for the actor, part two of the season was hyped up a bit for me, but overall didn't really accomplish in its obvious goal to make me want to stick around without Cavill in the role for season four. Um, if you've stuck with the show for this long, I have to imagine you don't care that they're kind of just going on their own here. They're not really following, you know, the sort material at all. The show at its bones is a great action fantasy series and if you focus on the action set pieces it's some of the most fun sword battles I've seen in years but its overall storytelling is lacking. This season focuses heavily on mages as Ciri needs to learn how to harness her powers and level up but we never quite get there at least not in the same way that we did in season two where Ciri actually learned how to become a witcher. No the overcomplicated turmoil between the mages really kind of causes everything to fall apart before we can ever see Siri, you know, begin to learn anything about magic outside of what Yennefer has already taught her. Like I said in my review of, you know, part one of this season, I think there was just a lot of great ideas put on the board as the show had some interesting angles to go at to give both, you know, Siri and Yennefer growth together, kind of in the same way that we saw Siri and Geralt bond last season. But they really just kind of sped right through it all. Um, Yennefer realizes just how awful the influence of her witch friends are, and we just move along um, into a storyline about Yennefer trying to bring everyone together to you know unite the realm but of course this isn't gonna go you know as easy as it seems as every nation wants you know control over Ciri and as some mages end up you know siding with Amir the Emperor this plan ultimately backfires as we get a massive battle between mages and Amir's forces the battle at the witch school was a fun watch 
but I felt personally misled by this second half's you know, marketing. They're promising big moments for Cavill here and spoilers uh, going forward, but we really only got you know, to watch him get his ass beat and then refuse help as he recovers for an entire episode afterwards. And then, you know, he goes to embark on a journey to find and save Siri since he thinks the Emperor got her. But that's, of course, only going to happen in season four. Again, while I was fine with the battle episode, overall, I felt like the season could have just ended there instead of giving us, you know, these two very long prologue episodes as the rest of the season just felt like they were establishing where all the characters were going to end up, you know, for season four. But it would have been cool to have started with Liam Hemsworth in the position of, you know, Geralt having to heal. And, you know, it felt like the perfect spot to do a soft reboot there as they even had the out of like the healing waters could have, you know, affected him in some way if they wanted to you know be that cheesy about it i mean i can't lie uh, this season was overall better than season two because jennifer's storyline of that was just god awful but the pacing of this season is just all over the place and they just were speeding through so many important emotional moments for our characters and i don't know to what avail as they had two whole prologue episodes setting up season four you know, it seems like that could have been better used to, you know, flesh out a little bit, you know, some of these moments of Siri having to deal with the other mages, you know, we get a quick moment of that, but we never really get to see Siri's, you know, lifestyle inside this like magic castle. And even the bits with Geralt, you know, going on his own and doing his own hunt get resolved extremely fast in part two. It just felt like this entire season could have gone with a couple more episodes because if, it, if the point was for me to care more about the mages and all of their relationships, I, I, I can tell you right now, I don't. You know, the show has done nothing but show me just how bad all of the witches and wizards are in this universe. So watching their whole society fall apart, you know, was fine as it was. I, I did not care about their relationships all that much. You know, maybe the show is trying to serve too many characters in general. You know, they're trying to be maybe a little bit too Game of Thrones as they connect the relationships between, you know, the witches, the different kingdoms um, that are working against, you know, Amir. You know, we get Amir and all of their side characters, you know, a whole subplot with the elves. So there is a lot to, you know, try and take in. But at the same time that just distracts and pulls us away from our main characters who just did not get enough time either together or on their own in their own storylines throughout this season and for me that just causes a you know hollow experience by the season's end you know there's plenty of things i do love about this show you know like i said up front the action sequences are super fun to watch um henry cavill in the role of Geralt has been perfect up until this point you know, you really feel like he's, you know, fully embodying the character. So it's definitely going to be massive shoes to fill for Liam Hemsworth. Um, I'm not looking forward to the change, but I'll give it a try just because you know, I want to see how he does in the role. But overall, this does feel like it spells doom for the series as people were already wish-washy with it as it is. But with all that said, I'm going to be giving The Witcher Season 3 a C+. Still way more enjoyable than Season 2, but still kind of a mess of a story. And now for the nerds review of A24's Talk To Me, warning mild spoilers ahead. So where'd you get it from anyway? Apparently it was the hand of someone who could connect with the dead. I heard it was the hand of a Satanist. Yeah. The other hand's just out there. 
White people shit, man, I tell you. <laughs> All right, let's do this! You know the drill. Say, talk to me. Talk to me. When a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. This was directed by the duo of Danny and Michael Filippo and stars Ari McCarthy, Hamish Phillips, and Kit Eric Bruce. So right off the bat, Talk To Me is one of the best horror films I've seen in quite a while. And in saying that, it's not like the genre is suffering through some kind of a drought. There's been plenty of strong offerings over the past couple years from horror. But what elevates Talk To Me to what I consider top tier horror is it's genuinely scary. And as a hardened horror fan, there aren't many films nowadays that I can say truly affects me. But at some point, this movie grabbed me by the throat and didn't let go until the final scene. I was totally engulfed with this dark, twisted tale of grief. So the film starts off with a group of friends that discover a statue or maybe an embalmed hand that if you hold on to it, it allows you to summon spirits that will actually possess you for a short period of time if you let them in. At first, the group of friends treat the hand like a party trick, gathering in, you know, groups and recording one another as they take turns using the hand. But eventually, of course, shit goes wrong and the spirits want to stay. And like, listen, here's the thing. Like, we've seen multiple versions of this film in the past. I mean, the concept of fucking around with the dead and finding out is absolutely a horror trope. But the beauty of this film is in the details and execution. First time directors Danny and Michael Filippo, I hope I'm saying their name right, uh, craft a film built on suspense and tension that always delivers when it counts. There are moments through character and story that they lull you into a false sense of security and then blindside you with some horrific visuals, uh, reminding you that you're witnessing a true nightmare scenario. And when I say character, what I'm talking about is the fact that the cast is just incredibly charismatic and likable to the point that they feel authentic and real. It just makes what they're going through more intense and grueling. And this by no means is a slow burn film, which is usually where you make that kind of connection. This film is a lean, mean 90 some minutes, but the director duo has skillfully put together a compelling story from start to finish that doesn't let you go. It's not all about cheap jump scares that you usually get in similar films like this. It's about the sense of dread that permeates throughout the film and its terrifying exploration of how grief can poison everything it touches. And that's where the real horror lies. So with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give Talk To Me an A. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out if you're a fan of the genre. Uh, Talk To Me is currently playing at a theater near you. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. 
This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHO for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So there's rumors circling in the gaming world right now that point at Nintendo's next big console to be coming out next year. Sources from the Video Game Chronicles have claimed that the next Nintendo console will likely come out in late 2024 and will have similar functionality to the Nintendo Switch. It's believed by these sources that the next console is putting a little bit more emphasis on internal memory as the current Switch only has 32 gigs of space and we've seen from a lot and we've seen from you know developers on the Steam Deck and other similar handhelds recently that higher storage rates will allow for games that need to draw from more resources, which has definitely held the Switch back from third-party releases. Um, the screen is said to still be an LCD screen to you know help drive down the price, but hopefully with more space and hopefully more internal memory and RAM, the next console can produce even better games than what we've seen with the current Switch, which has had an impressive run either way. You know, personally, I've been speculating on the show and off the show that 
the next console will most likely be a Switch 2 coming from Nintendo. You know, after all, the Switch itself was a big step in the right direction after the Wii and Wii U. And further development could possibly do a lot to actually bolster this handheld experience. The Switch has not been without its problems, like massive controller drift issues, and of course its lack of space and performance for bigger titles, for bigger third-party titles. If Nintendo can address all these issues with the Switch 2, they could easily sweep the market in my opinion, as competition is on the rise from Steam and Asus, who are both throwing in their hats with their portable PCs. But right now, this is of course only rumor, so we'll see what happens when we get into next year. You know, they have to probably have like some type of Nintendo Direct or something that will be announcing an official new console. But other than that, we've had a ton of, you know, big stories coming out about Baldur's Gate 3. They've really been like holding the market right now uh, with everyone just being obsessed with the fact that, you know, this game seems to be all it says it is in one big package. Um, you know, there's multiple endings. It's a full D&D experience without, you know, the need of DLC or any type of crazy pre-order bonuses and shit like that. So it's one that I've been personally watching, you know, be developed over the years. I was an early adopter of the game. I got the alpha, you know, back when the alpha was actually announced, which actually makes me an owner of the, you know, full release of the game too. I made sure to, ch you know, check on that because I wasn't sure if like, oh, if I paid for the alpha, am I going to get the actual full experience too? So me and my good friend Victor may actually be trying it pretty soon on stream. I don't know if we can co coordinate that for this weekend or not but we will see other than that i do plan on doing a big you know portion of horizon forbidden west as i'm trying to get through the rest of that main story before the before doing the dlc and hopefully get that all done before starfield comes out i'm also interested in trying something different um i don't ever really play any of my rts games on stream like i play a lot of city skylines and i play a lot of civilization off stream but there's a game called crusader kings 3 that i've been really wanting to try out and i thought it might be fun to you know do that live with you guys on stream so if you catch me live let me know on twitch you know if you're interested in you know checking that game out with me or you can always hit us up on social media at amazing nerd show or at amazing nerd live for all updates on the stream side of things but with that said let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling since 1997 this x is the foundation i have built my professional wrestling career on this x means I'm straight edge, and straight edge means I'm better than you. This title is mine. It belongs on collision, and this title is not stolen, unlike my catchphrase. I am the real world's champion. All right, Christian, so it's time for our weekend review for AEW. Uh, before we get into this past week's episodes of Collision and Dynamite, um, I wanted to briefly just talk about, I think, what I think was the biggest news coming out of AEW, uh, the fact that the Elite have re-signed with the company, so they'll be sticking around for the foreseeable future. Uh, I don't know about you, but this was greeted with a huge sigh of relief from me. Um, I was getting a little worried, uh, especially, uh, you know, with last week, them coming out and cutting that promo after Blood and Guts, talking about how, you know, whatever their decision is, they're going to do it together, and then all of a sudden, they're not on, you know, the next week's episode of Dynamite, <laughs> and they're barely even mentioned uh i was getting a little nervous 
But I guess they were too busy, you know, negotiating a huge new deal for themselves. Um, and I, I just feel like this does a lot to stabilize the future of AEW. Like, you've got your core intact, which, you know, after Cody leaving, I don't know, it just, it's a big deal. And I was worried if they lost the elite that they would really, like, struggle to recover. I mean, personally, I've been trying to mentally prepare myself for the worst case scenario of them leaving and going to WWE since, you know, everything that happened with Punk uh, last year at this point. Right. So... I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's felt like, you know, they've been wanting to have that challenge of trying to see if they can make it in a company like WWE. At least Kenny, and, right? At least Kenny, because he brings out. it up yes. the most. Yeah. Yes, like, you know, being a TV wrestler opposed to, you know, what he does currently, mm -hmm. a big match wrestler, if you will. Um, you know, how that's just a whole different challenge and everything. Yeah, he's brought that up a lot in interviews. But I'm I'm happy. I'm happy that they've signed. Uh, it is it is a sigh of relief. It's a huge deal for the company, um, especially like a young talent like Hangman. I think he mm -hmm. kind of gets like lost in the shuffle with this story. Like everyone kind of focuses on the young bucks and Kenny, but Paige is like in his early thirties at the most, um, and he's a main event player. So uh, that I think would have been actually the biggest loss long term for AEW. Mm. Because he's the kind of wrestler who you can really, you know, center your product around for, you know, the next 10 years if you want to. Or Kenny, I mean, Kenny's 40 at this point. Um, I, I think the Bucks are still in their mid-30s. Um, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm I'm also happy for the Bucks because I feel like the Young Bucks would have just been wasted in WWE. There's no way they would be able to wrestle the style of match that we've grown accustomed to, um, you know, on WWE TV. So, um, and, you know, WWE doesn't really give a shit about their tag division either. Um, so I just feel like they would have just been miserable there. I mean, you would have to hope that they would book around them at least for the first year. But I feel like after that, yeah, t the tag division has just never been a big thing for WWE. No, never. I mean, they, <laughs> w I forgot. I absolutely forgot that the, the Good Brothers are now underneath WWE contracts. Like, because <laughs> yeah. they haven't been on TV, it feels like, for mm -hmm. the last, like, nine months. But they've been there for quite a while at this point, And they've done nothing with them. So, you know, they just don't care about the tag division. And Vince never has, really. Um, you know, the tag division was strongest in, like, the mid to late 80s. And then once again, you know, when the Hardys and Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys were a thing. But that that's pretty much it. So I know the Usos are coming off a huge, like, title reign. But, I mean, those belts were so wrapped up in, you know, the whole Bloodline storyline that... It never felt like an important reign to me, like where they're defending the belts like every other week, you know, in these great matches. It just felt like they kind of had them so they could parade around with them, um, you know, with Roman, um, like they were just more of a prop. So um, I just I feel like the Bucks would be miserable there where I could see Kenny, you know, getting that initial push and everything like that um, and having some, you know, cool matchups and everything. But yeah, in the long run, I feel like this is the right decision for the Elite. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the shows this week. Uh, Collision opened up with 
what I thought was a fantastic ladder match between Buddy Murphy and Andrade. Um, this match had everything. It was super hard hitting, um, you know, not as aerial as I was kind of expecting, um, but just two guys beating the shit out of each other with a ladder, <laughs> which I enjoyed. So, um, you know, I, they brought props into the mix, which with AEW is always playing with fire, um, literally. Uh, but it didn't blow up in their faces this time. So, um, you know, because we've seen a lot of angles shot with props that never quite work right. Uh, so when they pulled out those handcuffs, I was a little nervous. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, it. I thought it added some suspense in the match and in the long run really helped them tell the story that they wanted to tell. So uh, I don't know. How, how did you feel about the match? I mean, I enjoyed the match. It was very fun to watch. My only real complaint about it is, and I, I just don't know if it's, you know, a structural thing, but like, are the ladders in AEW just like super weak that they need multiple refs to constantly hold them for the wrestlers? I don't know, man. I'm fine with it. I understand a lot of people are griping about that online, but I mean, I think it's a matter of the refs and the cameramen not being as good as hiding it uh on tv as like wwe is because there are plenty of times that refs are holding the ladders in wwe you just don't really get like it focused on um they're better at making sure to edit that out or you know shoot around them because say what you want to say about wwe's production um and there's a lot that you can say about WWE's production, don't get me wrong. Like all the jump cuts are, are just nauseating, but they know how to shoot big moments, uh, which just feels like something AEW still struggles with. Mm. So, um, you know, I don't know. Like I'd rather have the wrestlers be safe than anything. So, I mean, in the long well, no, run, I, I understand. I just, I've never seen it to that degree that many times, you know, seeing the refs on camera, like I, I, you know, that's why I'm like, you already answered the question I was going to ask. I was like, how often does this happen in wrestling where they need the you know refs to actually hold the ladders? Oh, yeah. For so big like spots? Bully Ray went on this huge rant about it online, you know, talking about how like they didn't need refs holding the ladders for them at WrestleMania 17 or whatever. And then he talks oh, so much. Oh, yes. And then, of course, <laughs> a million fans came out with multiple like screenshots of refs holding uh-huh. the ladders at you know wrestlemania for them so (laughs) it is what it is it's just like once again like wwe's production team they shoot around that shit but the end of the match after julia hart took a big bump off the top of the ladder um you know uh while she was trying to stop andrade from climbing up um which i i mean i gotta give props to julia hart like she's really giving all to this character um Mm -hmm. but we saw Andrade recapture his mask uh, and celebrate in the ring. So I don't know if this is going to be the end of this storyline because um, it, it felt like that. I was surprised that we didn't see more of members of the House of Black coming out and interfering. But I guess they did have that like as part of the storyline where the rest of the House of Black were not allowed at ringside. 
Um, they even made mention that Julia Hart has her manager license. So that's why she was able to be out there, which I love is, you know, the manager license is only something that they bring up when they actually need a story reason for, you know, a manager to be out there. Um, Can't say I've ever heard that. Really? Oh, it's such old school no. shit. Like Gorilla <laughs> Mo- Monsoon would bring up the manager <laughs> license all the time. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, so I really thought before they brought up the fact that House of Black was banned from ringside that we would see interference from them. And then, you know, Roosh would come out and help Andrade, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of setting up or resetting up that faction. Uh, but that wasn't the case. We just had Andrade celebrating and the rest of the House of Black never appeared. So um, now it really felt to me like they're moving on from the storyline, uh, you know, on screen. But then uh, Andrade came out this week and said that he'd love to face Malachi Black uh, at All In. Now, he might have just been going to business for himself uh-huh. and trying to get himself booked on the biggest you know, show of the year. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I would love to see that match. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Malachi Black has not wrestled many singles matches, you know, since being in AEW. Um, and I think that's partially due to injury that they're trying to protect him. But I don't know. I, I, I love having Andrade back and I want to see him the rig more. So why the fuck not do this match? I mean, I at least would like to see the faction come back together for Andrade at some point. Yeah. I don't know if that will be a feature on Collision. Who else not, is in that but... faction besides Roosh? It's um, t- ten from the Dark Order. I always forget it was. Oh, uh, Pearson, Pearson Vance. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, he doesn't need to be part of the group anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it; like he hasn't been wrestling long, but he just doesn't fit whatsoever. And especially if they're going to be baby faces now. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm fine with it just being Andrade, Rush, and uh, Drillistico. I think I'm saying that right. Like that that's that's a good enough faction for me. But moving on, uh, we had a big promo from CM Punk. Uh, He came out and he finally revealed what has been in that red bag of his, uh, which was his AEW world title, which, I mean, we all kind of figured at this point. Uh Uh, But, you know, he pulled out the title. He said that he was the real world champion. It's very Ric Flair joining WWF uh, back in the 80s, um, except they didn't blur out the title. Um, But instead, Punk... Uh, spray painted a big X on the belt. So yes, it was very Ric Flair, but it was also very Hogan NWO. I don't know how you feel about this, Christian. I mean, this was all done in the name of setting up a match between him and Ricky Starks this week on Collision, which is going to be going head to head against SummerSlam. Um, good luck. But yeah, I mean, what were your feelings on this? I mean, I enjoyed the overall promo. Um, I like. It felt very heel punk. Uh, the crowd doesn't seem to know how to react to this uh, storyline in general or to him because it just to him. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, even Ricky was getting mixed reactions because of what was going on between the two of them at this point. And Ricky is supposed to be the heel. So it's weird, but like a lot of people like Ricky, so they're (laughs) cheering for him. So just, but by the time that he said, I'm the real champion, like for the third time, I was like waiting for MJF to show up in some former capacity just because you know he's the he's one of the biggest talkers in the in the company as well you know it it made no sense for him not to be somewhat involved in this even if he's still just there to be like hey whoever wins between you two goes up against me you know if that's just how it ends that's how it ends mjf isn't gonna challenge (laughs) at least this version of mjf isn't gonna come out and challenge punk 
Um, you know, even though he's handing out world title matches nowadays. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that we knew MJF was actually there too was mm-hmm. a little, I don't know, off-putting, I guess. Um, but I mean, he was just in a title match. It wasn't like he was on the mic that night. So I guess I gave it a pass, especially since it was a tag title match and we know it was a big, big deal. Uh, but then the fact that he didn't mention it, you know, on dynamite, um, I thought was strange, you know, cause even if it was just a, like a throwaway line or something like that, like, oh, we know who the real champion is or whatever like that. I get it. Um, you know, and it, like, it's not like he doesn't have a history with, you know, punk. He, he, he yeah. had a huge program with him. So, um, you know, and he came out, you know, with the big whatever chip, the poker chip uh, after Punk's, you know, title win, uh, you know, right before Brawl Out happened. So, I I mean, storyline wise, this all makes sense. And you can see where they're headed. I'm sure we're going to be getting that match between Punk and MJF to unify these titles or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I liked the promo. I'm with you. Um it did feel a little weird that Punk was really harping on the fact that, you know, Ricky's a cheater after like last week. Yeah. He kind of like gave him a pass for cheating and even mentioned the fact that, you know, it's not like he hasn't cheated in the past himself. Uh, but I don't know. Um, the whole... At least Ricky called him out for it, though. Yes. And like he's. Yeah. Well, and he called himself out for it last week. So it was a little weird, but whatever. <laughs> Punk, when it comes to his promos. They're all very much heel promos, mm-hmm. you know, or like tweener at best. I mean, besides his, you know, re-debut in Chicago, even the way he's wrestling is pretty much walking that line between heel and babyface. So I wouldn't be surprised, like, if he doesn't turn sooner than later, uh, maybe even against MJF. Uh, it feels like MJF is primed now to be a real babyface. Uh, with Punk as a heel, um, but we'll see if they go that route. Um, I liked the promo overall, though, and I did like, you know, the spray painting of the belts. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Um, and as long as this isn't like a recognized second world title in AEW, I'm fine with this angle. Like as long as it's just an an angle for, you know, a rematch between MJF and Punk, I guess I'm cool with it. You know, my big initial fear was like this was their way of introducing a, a secondary like world title in the company, which I absolutely do not want. <laughs> but I, I have a feeling, like I said, like it, this is all just in the name of the angle, which is cool with me. I don't like the the title card, though, saying real championship yeah. for their but match. Once again, <laughs> that's kind of a, like a nod and wink at, you know, uh, the, the Ric Flair angle from back in the day. So. And what's funny about it, it, it's literally like the anniversary of that angle. Like, um, oh, like okay. Flair debuted it like this past week, the title on WWE TV and everything. So, um, but yeah. But anyway, let's move on to the main event. Uh, we had FTR. They're defending their titles against MJF and Adam Cole, the... I don't know what they're calling them. They're the better than you. Better than you, baby. Babies, whatever. I like brochachos better. They should have just called them brochachos. <laughs> <laughs> the brochachos. I'd wear a shirt that said that. Um, but 
I thought this match was fantastic. I'm glad that they didn't lean into the haha so much and we didn't have like, you mm. know, attempted dance offs or anything like that. Because um, you knew it, like FTR wasn't going to go for that whatsoever. No. Um, but I thought they really played up the tension between Dax and MJF really well. Um, you know, it felt legitimate, even though, you know, I'm sure it's based in some sort of reality, but you could tell by the way they're cutting their promos the past couple of weeks that, you know, they're definitely trying to work people um, and, you know, use it in this match. And that's exactly what they did. Um, I was surprised by the outcome. I really thought that we were going to get a title change, um, even if it was just for a short period of time. Um, and I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't. Um, I like the wrinkle that they added at the end of the match with them actually sticking together. Because once they lost, I was like, oh, shit, they're going to break up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they really worked the people into thinking that. <laughs> uh, you know, because you had Max crying in the corner. We will, you know, back to the match. It ended with, you know, Max basically taking a bullet for Adam Cole, um, you know, right as FTR is about to hit the shatter machine. MJF pushes Cole out of the way, takes the move himself. Well, he takes the move kind of himself. He blocks it. He turns around and then gets reversed into a roll up by Dax, uh, who gets the one, two, three. Um, MJF afterwards is just devastated. He can't believe he lost a match. He's literally crying in the corner, which was pretty impressive. Um, And we have Adam Cole consoling him and everything, telling him that he's, you know, still the world champion and to keep his chin up and everything like that. You know, they kind of hug it out. Cole goes to the corner to celebrate. And then we see MJF stand up with the belt. And I'm like, oh, shit, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And he's literally like crying and holding the belts, like, you know, almost like battling the demons in his head. Uh, and Cole, I don't know if he just like heard the crowd's reaction or saw it on the big screen, but he realizes what's going on and he puts out his arms and he's, you know, ready to take it. Obi one style at the end of new hope, like do, do what you must <laughs> strike me down. I'll only grow stronger. Um, and you know, Max, you know, comes to his senses and he doesn't do it. Cole turns around um, the crowd starts to cheer. Uh, they're literally chanting, hug it out. And they do. Um, but even in that moment, like after they like start hugging, like I'm like, oh, my God, Cole's not going to uh-huh. like kick him the balls or something like that. And there was like a good like 30 seconds afterwards where I was like just waiting still like, on you know, pins and needles that like, oh, wait, the turn's coming at some point. Uh, I finally got some relief like once like, you know, the copyright, you know, came up on the screen. I was like, OK, we're good. <laughs> So um, I have a feeling that, you know, this was probably where the storyline was supposed to end originally. Um, But seeing like the crowd's reaction and, you know, how into it everyone was, they probably decided to go a different route and, you know, keep them friends for now. Um, But that brings us to Dynamite, uh, which was the 200th episode. Uh, We had MJF come out, cut a, well, what I guess was supposed to be a babyface promo. Um, he was definitely working it so it felt disingenuous the entire time. Like he was doing a whole lot of smiling in between everything and like not just smiling, but like creepy smiling. I was like, uh, <laughs> just like, oh, stop doing that, Max. 
um you know retelling his story you know everything with the quarters and you know the racist bullies and the the crowd was with him for the most part but you could tell the crowd was also concerned with exactly where <laughs> this was all going and i think that was by design honestly uh-huh. um then you have cole come out and it feels like you know i'm i'm still concerned about cole also you know turning on mjf i mean if there's a turn that's going to happen like i want it to be by cole but you know they're definitely playing into that tension there you know like you know who's going to turn when is it going to happen um so uh but you know mjf you know, brings up, you know, the match that he promised uh, Adam Cole, the rematch for the world title. Um, and he said, you know, he tells him that he's not deserving. And then, you know, Cole kind of looks, you know, confused. The crowd definitely reacts to it, you know, thinking like, oh, the shoes, the other shoes dropped. Like, <laughs> here we go. And then MJF says, you don't deserve just any world title match, but, you know, a world title match on the biggest stage ever in wrestling, which is all in and i love the fact that AEW is really trying to push that home uh-huh. that this is the biggest wrestling event of all time which this is their mania in all fairness <laughs> like when all is said and done they might be right like you know attendance wise like they might hold the record so it, wwe has a bunch of numbers out there but a lot of them are kayfabe numbers you know they've all been gassed up a little so mm. um you know you can actually find the real attendance numbers if you look hard enough us. I thought I saw that they were like 2,000 behind WWE's Wembley record right now. As far as uh, tickets I'm that not are actually... sure, but yeah, they're, they'll surpass that easily if that's the case. Mm-hmm. You know, with especially with like three and a half weeks out. So that shouldn't be an issue. But I'm pretty sure they actually surpassed the real record, whatever the real record is for uh, WWE, not the kayfabe record. Uh, and now they're moving on to like, an, you know, another record, um, you know, gate wise, like they're behind like a bunch of WrestleManias and everything like that, like what they're actually going to be making gate wise. Um, but physical attendance wise, they could be breaking like the paid attendance record. Now, I believe WCW actually holds the non paid attendance record which is something ridiculous, like 100,000. But it was like an event that like citizens were forced to go to in Korea. So it doesn't really count. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, you know, I, but regardless, I mean, not like any of this matters. I mean, this is really just AEW trying to stick it to WWE here. And I mean, and it's not like this hasn't happened, vice versa. But like, it's a good marketing tool to call it the biggest event ever. You know, in wrestling mm-hmm. history, because when people try to look that up on Google, what's going to pop up first? AEW. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, MJF reveals that, you know, he wants the match against Cole to be at all in. And then we have both of them hugging and celebrating in the ring afterwards. Now, now I am a little worried because you see Cole sign the contract in the ring. But he doesn't read the contract. Yeah, he didn't right. read it. Um, so I wouldn't be the crowds su- even chanting that had him. Oh, read really? The contract. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if you know Max puts something in the contract that we find out later about. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then a lot of people on the flip side are pointing out that Cole hugged MJF exactly oh, the same God. way that he hugged Roderick Strong right before he stabbed him in the back. Um, 
I feel like that's absolutely stretching it. I think it's just the way the dude hugs. Um, but whatever. Um, they might have been on purpose. I mean, they're definitely adding a lot of layers to this thing here and trying to work people, um, which is smart on their part. But yeah, uh, we'll see. Like afterwards, once the segment was over, they cut to Roderick Strong in the back throwing a temper tantrum. But then he's interrupted by the members of the kingdom who used to run with Adam Cole and they talked about how quickly he forgets who his real friends are. Which, I mean, I forgot about the kingdom even being in AEW. I guess they've been yes. <laughs> ROH. You know, they've been wrestling over on ROH mm-hmm. this entire time. Uh, but yeah, they haven't really made mention of Cole and the kingdom, right? Because it really felt like they were kind of setting that up for a while. Um, but yeah, nothing's come of that. So, so I do appreciate that they like introduced them into this storyline. So I'm curious to see where this all leads. Um, I mean, it was definitely not an angle I was expecting. You know, I like I thought back when we first got Adam Cole, you know, not being with the elite that maybe they could do the kingdom with Adam Cole versus the elite. Yeah. Um, at some point, but, uh, you know, but then you, you and, have and a baby face Adam Cole, so it doesn't really work. Yeah. Right. Cause I was kind of assuming that we'd see Cole, you know, maybe for a match, be a baby face and then turn back to his old ways afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. And that's still, I mean, that still might happen here, but I, yeah. I, <laughs> I really hope that we see Cole be the one to turn on MJF because if you think about it, like logically, it doesn't make any sense what MJF is doing right now. Like if he's trying to set up Cole, like you don't set him up by giving him a world title match. Right. Like that makes no sense. So, you know, it feels like at least in some way. So it it seems like the story is that MJF really has like genuine feelings for Cole and really does see Cole as a friend. Because otherwise, it just, it once again, doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, I mean, we could still see MJF turn on him, like, especially when he brought up the uh, rejection sensitivity syndrome or whatever, um, kind of explaining why he is the way he is. Um, so, I mean, there is that out. Uh, but I like the fact that it feels like the relationship, at least in MJF's eyes, is real like their friendship Mm -hmm. just something different you know on an angle that is a bit of a trope you know can they coexist um so i like that they're kind of like subverting everyone's expectations right now um let's just see how far they can go stretch this thing out because it did huge ratings for them on collision they actually did their biggest ratings uh, since their debut. But anyway, this was the 200th episode of Dynamite, which is a huge milestone. Uh, and I thought they did a good job of celebrating, uh, you know, bringing back the original theme music and the you know original introduction with, you know, the color explosions and everything. I mean, they even had the tunnels back on the set, which I mean, we just got rid of the tunnels like just less than a year ago but it was still nice to see them right they did a really nice video package kind of going through like the bigger moments throughout like dynamite history um i would have liked to see them do a little more you know like even if they would have like had like some kind of video package last week you know kind of hyping people up you know for the show this week um it would have been nice but it is what it is like it's it's 
they've only been around for four years. So like, so how much, like how many video packages can you possibly do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't have there's been you a know, lot of explosive moments, at least. They have. And maybe they could have even done like, you know, like kind of like a countdown, like different clips of those moments throughout the night. Or maybe they spread it out over like, you know, the previous couple weeks. Um, but it is what it is. Like, I thought it was fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not harping on them. You know, for not properly celebrating their anniversary <laughs> or, you know, their milestone. Um, maybe they could have spread it out more by like just showing those individual moments like throughout the night or, you know, throughout like the previous like couple weeks, you know, kind of like leading up to episode 200. But I mean, they, it was fine. I'm nitpicking. It is what it is. So, I mean, God knows we didn't do anything for our 200th like episode, right? <laughs> We put out another episode right? is what we did. <laughs> we're, we're coming up on 300 episodes, honestly. We uh-huh. probably won't do anything once again. So um, <laughs> let alone a video montage. But anyway, the night starts off with Jericho teaming up with, with uh, Takeshita and Don Callis against Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. Um, I thought the match was good. Uh, Garcia has really gotten his dancing over big time (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh i thought all that was pretty fantastic with jericho chopping him and garcia just dancing it off like uh but anyway the match ends with uh callus hitting garcia with a baseball bat which caught jericho by surprise for some reason even though i mean he's been friends with callus for a long long time so he knows that he's a carny bastard but whatever um, he was definitely torn about taking the pin afterwards, but he eventually does. But, I mean, after the match, you could tell that he's really contemplating the choice that he made. Like, um, he seems just absolutely, like, torn apart by it. So, uh, and then... But a win is a win, all right? That's right. <laughs> uh, later on in the night, we have Daddy Magic confront Jericho in the hallway and tells Jericho that there's a mandatory meeting next week uh, for all of JAS. So it looks like shit's about to hit the fan. My guess still, like we've heard the rumors that, you know, we're going to be getting Jericho versus Osprey at All In. So mm-hmm. I feel like Callis and Takeshita are going to end up turning on Jericho. I mean, we've, we've heard rumors that it's going to be Osprey versus Jericho at All In. Uh, my guess is, you know, Takeshita, Callis, and Osprey jump. Jericho at some point we know that Osprey has ties to Callus um so we find out like this has just all been part of like Callus's master plan uh the entire time um you know to get Jericho away from JS so he's kind of ripe for the picking um it makes sense it is what it is I don't know if I want to necessarily see it but I mean Jericho needs something to do at all in right mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think Osprey can have an awesome match with him, honestly. Like, we've seen Jericho have some damn good matches over the past year against, like, you know, A-plus talents. And Osprey is definitely an A-plus talent. So um, I- I'm sure we're going to get a fantastic match out of the two. Um, so it is what it is. I know a lot of people wanted to see Osprey versus Omega, but I have a feeling that New Japan probably wanted that in their ring. Um, well, yeah, because that's a Wrestle Kingdom worthy match. Right. You well, know, it, like... it would be a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that's my guess is why it's not happening at all. But I do have to wonder who is Kenny Omega and the elite going to fight in general 
at all in. Speed of which, uh, they had a trios match against Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and uh, Sodom and Singh. I groaned a little when this was first announced, I won't lie, but it was a fun match overall. I knew it was going to be full of, you know, wacky hijinks, which it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after the match, uh, which obviously saw the Elite go over, they announced that they re-signed their contracts, which we already knew. Uh, yes. But Kenny brought up the fact that you'll be seeing a lot more of the Elite um, not only on Dynamite, but on ROH, Rampage, and even Collision. So, could we be possibly getting Kenny Omega versus CM Punk at All In? If you want to sell out all those tickets, that's the match you go with. And Kenny, in interviews prior to Punk coming back, seemed to be the most open to actually wrestling against Punk. And we know mm-hmm. Punk absolutely would like to mix it up with the Elite. Um, could it be possible that the reason why it took them so long to sign their contracts, because they have been negotiating since January, that you know they were trying to get as much as they could for wrestling punk? <laughs> I mean, if they were smart businessmen, they would definitely use that uh-huh. as a bartering tool, right? <laughs> Well, I didn't think of it like that, but uh, that would be a massive match to have. I just don't. Because otherwise, do you're I right. want Punk to go over, though? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Kenny probably doesn't give a shit about that, you know, and especially if you're going to have Punk against MJF. It is what it is. Uh-huh. I mean, if this is a heel Punk, which I think it's it's going to end up being, I, it doesn't matter if he cheats to win. It is what it is, right? Um, but, you know, I mean. Otherwise, you've got the storyline with Takeshita and, you know, Kenny Omega, but they need to really heat up Takeshita for that to feel like a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, there have been rumors of FTR versus the Bucks, though, at All In. Um, you know, and the FTR said from the get-go that they would be definitely open to wrestling the Bucks again, and it sounded like vice versa, you know, um, mm. which I'm glad, but... You know, so I, I guess we'll find out this weekend collision because we're only like three weeks away from all in. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the elite show up. That was the best part of Punk's promo on collision was the fact that he's like, I'm the only one that's brought up. All in. Yeah, which is it is a little weird, right? Um, yes. But I'm wondering if there was a reason for that. Like they're waiting to kind of get all their ducks in the row before they made any big announcements. I mean, they Mm. did have to kind of get past this tag tournament before they announced the world title match between Cole and, you know, MGF. But I mean, maybe they're also waiting to see what happens with the, you know, the elite signing their contracts. Um, Because that's definitely going to shape what they book for the show. But moving on, uh, we had a surprise appearance from RVD. This happened during the confrontation between Jerry Lynn and Jungle Boy. Uh, Jerry Lynn, of course, can't get physical because he's he's had multiple neck surgeries at this point. Uh, all probably because of Rob Van Dam, but that's neither here nor <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, RVD, you know, I guess to defend the honor of ECW and the FTW belt. Uh Uh, RVD gets in the ring. He challenges Jungle Boy to a match for the FTW title, uh, which is going to take place next week. Um, Jungle Boy walks away. Um, 
RVD celebrates with Jerry Lynn in the middle of the ring. And then Jungle Boy returns with a chair, tries to take out RVD, which he dodges and does um, an amazing spin kick. Because uh, I was definitely questioning, like, can RVD go anymore? I know he was wrestling on Impact for a while, but... Um, but, I mean, if that spin kick is any indication, it looks like he can still go. Um, yeah, he landed it. Yeah, I mean, it looked pretty damn amazing. So, uh, I, Jungle Boy did a great job of getting out of the ring and then, like, jumping into the crowd and actually hiding behind a little girl. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. <laughs> uh, the camera cut away from it a little too soon, which I was like, come on, Jesus Christ. And I don't know if they were directed to do that since, you know, it was that kind of, like, fan involvement thing that they're supposed to be, like, frowning upon now on it was on mm. it was part of that big list of you know no no's yes. now if you will um but yeah uh uh i don't know i this was this this ended up being better than i expected and i don't know if it was just hearing pantera's walk on like you know national tv <laughs> <laughs> but i love the fact that tony's willing to pay you know for this licensed music dropping um, was was that rvd's like original ecw theme or anything like that okay. yes no it was um you know the whole one of a kind uh theme song that he went with in wwe like never sat right with me so just felt weird because you know that was such a big part of the character from ecw so i i was i really popped when i heard that music um, and we heard rumors that RVD was going to be showing up, but yeah, I, I'm just, I'm glad that he's still so over with the crowd too. Like they all knew exactly who he was when he was out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but it should be fun. You know, I feel like it's going to be a good match at the end of the day. Like, even if they have to use smoke and mirrors to hide the fact that, you know, Van Dam is in his fifties now. Um, I think they can make it work. Just don't put him in the ring with sting and we're good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. Um, speaking of which we have not seen sting since that uh that table dive so uh i hope he's okay speaking of sting <laughs> we saw the continuation of darby allen's storyline uh which had swerve going straight supervillain. uh he showed up oh yes it <laughs> showed up to nick wade's house basically well his backyard where uh his dad's training facility is i guess uh and swerve and we had Swerve and A.R. Fox show up to where Nick uh, Wayne trains his, I guess, his dad's old uh, wrestling school where he apparently still trains. Um, you know, they're both they, they've got a Prince Nana uh, videotaping. They have Prince Nana filming and they proceed to beat the shit out of Nick Wayne, uh, hitting him over the head with a framed photo of him and his father from when he was little. Uh, you know, uh, busting him wide open, which the blood looked a little too fake for my liking. I don't know. It was a little too red. I don't know how you felt about it. I did. It didn't bother me. I was in the moment. It, fe- <laughs> it was a great angle. Don't get me wrong, but it felt like Romero blood, like from <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. It was just a little too too red. Um, but I mean, as long as it wasn't going kill Bill style and spraying everywhere, oh, I would have liked that. Don't get me <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like that, give me that. If you're gonna do it big, go big. Um, I love Swerve. Like try to use the face recognition on the phone to open uh uh-huh. Nick's phone so he could call Darby. 
Um, I thought Darby could have done a better job reacting to the phone call. I was like, this is pre-taped. Like, what the hell, Darby? Like, act like you care a little. Um, but, you know. They could have faked the phone call entirely and put, like, a voiceover yes. from Darby. You know, like. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's what they probably did. But, like, he was like, okay. Like, it just. <laughs> first, I didn't feel like he was very concerned. Um, uh. But, yeah, no, I thought this whole thing was well done. Um, I just love Swerve being such a dastardly villain. Um, maybe not have A.R. Fox talk that much. Like, his end of the promo wasn't great. But, you know, I like the motivations that they've come up with mm-hmm. for, you know, A.R. Fox's turn. Um, it works. So I'm expecting to get some kind of, like, tag match with, like, Darby and uh, Nick Wayne versus A.R. Fox and and swerve at you know one of the two big shows coming up um you know maybe that's when we'll get the return of sting but otherwise we saw a great hardcore match with between moxley trent and pentagon and it looks like that was all just to set up a parking lot brawl which is going to be taking place on rampage between uh the bcc and uh the best friends which i mean the original parking lot brawl with uh proud and powerful and the best friends was an instant classic so um i feel like so hopefully they're able to like live up to that high it's i mean it's definitely going to be pre-taped because they're actually bringing it back to daily's place which they're actually not Mm -hmm. at so um yeah the show's not taking place from daily place they're just like i think they're close by so that's why they decided to film it there but anyway, that brings us to our main event, which surprisingly was Sheeta versus Tony Storm for the AEW Women's World Title. Uh, I don't know about you, but like once they announced that this match was taking place in the main event, I was like, "Oh, they're they're going to change the title." And then I saw Sheeta come out, who was incredibly emotional <laughs> for <Yes>. her entrance. <laughs> I was like, oh, th- this title is definitely changing tonight. Sheeta is walking 100%. out the champion. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I thought the match was solid. Um, the crowd was really into it. Like, Sheeta always does this thing. Like, even if the crowd wasn't into it at first, like, she always finds a way to get the crowd, like, on their feet and invested in the mm-hmm. match. I mean, I really have to give it to her. Um, but yeah, I mean, throughout the match, we saw Sheeta kind of fight off a bunch of you know but yeah i mean throughout the match we saw sheeta fight off a bunch of classic heel tactics from the outcasts um which i was kind of expecting like brit in them like maybe sky blue to come to her aid and like chase the outcasts off but that never happened uh maybe the story that they wanted to tell was sheeta like being able to overcome this you know faction um but yeah i mean she she that's exactly what she does. She ends up overcoming everything that they can throw at her and she gets a surprise roll up win and walks away. Uh, I think the second two time women's champion, right? Cause Tony technically is also, Oh yeah. Tony is a two time yes. champion. Yes. So a uh, big moment for Sheeta. Uh, I thought the commentary did a great job of really telling her story and the fact that like she kind of carried the women's division through the pandemic and, you know, never really got to be champion in front of, you know, the AEW fans. So, you know, kind of adding that extra layer to make it feel so important for Sheeta to actually win this belt in front of, you know, a big crowd. Uh, And the fact that she's going to get to probably defend that title against AEW's biggest crowd ever at all in. 
Um, I have no idea where they're going to be taking this angle. Like, you know, are we going to see a rematch between her and Tony? Are we going to see Soraya, you know, get a title shot, you know, since they're going to be in her home country? Um, but Britt also has been racking in like wins lately. So that's what I was thinking because of all the like little matches Britt's been having. I thought they would put the two of them, have them have a rematch in front of yeah, everyone. That'd be crazy. Um, like, could you like do maybe like a three way between, you know, all the women, Sheeta, Britt and Soraya. Um, it's possible, yeah. you know, or even have Tony, you know, do a four way dance. Because I'm, I'm assuming after everything that's happened this past week, we're not going to get into all the, you know, drama happening right now uh, with Lufisto mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but I'm guessing that AEW is going to want to get as many women on the card as possible. Because this, this week has definitely been a PR nightmare, you know, for the company. So, um, you know, and it's kind of their own doing. So it is what it is. At least that's how it sounds. But yeah, I thought, you know, this title win was a great way to end their 200th episode. Um, and hopefully get their women's division back on track. So, I, you know, we talked about it last week. It feels like once Jamie Hader got hurt, they were thrown for a loop. Um, you know, not making excuses for them, but it really felt like they were treading water until they could figure out exactly what direction they were headed in. Um, and it was really to the detriment of the entire division. So um, Tony really struggles. It feels like when he gets thrown a curveball sometimes. Uh, I like the fact that like he really tries to stick to storylines and, you know, he cares about the continuity of everything. Um, at least when it comes to the stories that he's invested in. <laughs> uh, but you've got to be able to roll with the punches at the same time. Mm. So. Especially with the women getting so little time on camera. Um, you know, when you have an episode that feels like it's just wasted by a nothing happening match, it really hurts the division and kind of sets, you know, everything back. Um, so I don't know. I- I'm glad that hopefully they're headed in the right direction now. Yeah, I mean, like, Tony, making it a main event match was nice, but they there was still more time to put another women's match on today's, like, aw card yeah. and I, I don't know i don't know what it is like like i mean we we're talking last week that maybe it's an edict coming down from warner brothers but then with mm-hmm. everything that we're hearing with all the backstage drama that came out this week you know maybe that's not the case maybe it's just tony not being invested in women's wrestling which is unfortunate um because you would just think pr wise you would just throw in a second match on dynamite like mm. at least once a month, you know, to get people off your back, <laughs> just the optics of it, you know, sh- would help you big time. Um, not that I think that's the only reason you should do it. Um, you know, I love women's wrestling too. I mean, I want to see these women featured on the card and they deserve to be featured. Um, but I, I just don't get it. it. It doesn't make any sense. And even though we're totally like, Ending on a sour note, I, I did really think that this was a great episode of Dynamite. <laughs> I thought they had a great week of TV. Like, like it was such a good week that it really feels like it could be the catalyst to them, you know, getting hot again. Um, you know, getting the product hot again, um, especially with, you know, two huge shows coming up with All In and All Out. Um, so knock on wood and hopefully that's the case. 
I mean, there's a lot to build up to at this point. So let's, I mean, let's fill out that card. There's a, there's almost 80,000 people ready to see that in Wembley. Yeah, I mean, hey, they already got their money, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you could definitely see where they're headed, at least for a handful of other matches. But then it, it, it becomes a question of like, well, is that going to be on all in or is that going to be at all out? Um, and you really have to book two shows at once with them being so close together. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that they only have really one or two, I guess they get the Derby match too with him going for the TNT title. Um, but that's it. That's all you have announced. So um, yeah, they've got a lot of work to do, but, but I don't know. I feel like this was definitely a step in the right direction. Well, that does it for this. As week. a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by the AmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. You're crazy. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I?